Welcome to our special two-parter episode about all the Hotel Detective songs. Real quick, though, we got a mailbag. Uh, we got a voicemail here from the one, the only, the blue-haired Peter Gritch. You know him from his uh, awesome audio recordings of They Might Be Giant shows and as an admin for Miscellaneous T and doing lots of shitposting and um, various funny Peter-type things. Here it is. Hey, Peter. Hey, Greg. This is Peter Gritch, admin of Miscellaneous Tea. I could have just messaged you this, but I figured this would be more fun. So, listening to your Sense Around episode, and I noticed earlier in the episode you talked about misleading ticket information, and I have an experience to share about the same sort of thing. Isn't that fun? So, there's this one time when the residency at the Music Hall of Williamsburg started, and uh, all of the information online was like, okay, this is a 16-plus show, you know, have your IDs ready, it's 16-plus. But then I had to argue with the security guard because they're like, no, this is an 18-plus show, this is an 18-plus venue. I had to fucking fight a security guard almost because I was like, look, this is the information on the website, this is what it said, I'm going into the show. I was 17 at the time. Yeah, I mean, I lived to tell the tale. There's also a time, same residency, a couple months later, the April show. I don't know what happened. I guess me and my sister lost track of time, but we've gotten there just as they were starting to set things up. That's pretty much it. Made the show on time, watched the whole thing. Dude spilled beer on me. Kind of unfortunate. Still got a recording out of it. Uh, that's pretty much it. Peace out. If you would like to leave me a voicemail and hear your voice at the top of the show, 224 801 2930. Once again, that number is 224-801-2930. You will receive a CD every month. You may cancel your subscription at any time. Wouldn't that be great if I pressed the CD? See how high the Patreon gets. Do a, this might be a podcast cover CD. Just a random thing that came to me. So, uh, yeah, go to the Patreon. Hey, also you can email. This might be a pod at Gmail. And, um... Twitter and stuff, but I usually lose track of those tweets. So call or uh, email if you want to get on the mailbag segment. This one is edited by Mr. John Walker. I gave him a lot of time off, but hey, I got way ahead on the recordings again. Six weeks ahead right now. Recording three more episodes this week. Pandemic recordings. Social distancing via pod. Thanks, John. Uh, These next two episodes are engineered, mixed by... John Walker in Baltimore. Check out his new EP, The Communicable EP, sci-fi, S-I-G-H-F-I-G-H, dot bandcamp.com. On with the episode. All right! 
Welcome to This Might Be a Podcast, the song by song, or in this case, song by song by song by commentary podcast, fan podcast about They Might Be Giants. And this is uh, a mega episode, a possible two-parter episode about the Hotel Detective series. I've got a crew here. We're going to talk about parentheses. She was a hotel detective. No parentheses. She was a hotel detective. She was a hotel detective in the future, and she was a hotel detective commentary. So, uh, <laughs> I've got John Ulis and Matt Lee uh, to talk about all of these things. Get she's a hotel detective. Hotel detective. Okay, that, yeah, I didn't even know how to do that intro. I got into it, and then I was like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here. This is a, a, a weird one, because usually it's only the Patreon episodes that can are allowed to talk about more than one song in any length. But uh, thanks for being here, fellas. Hey, Matt and John. Hey. Happy to be here. Hell yeah. John, you've been uh, floating around the podcast since like day one, and you are an awesome supporter of the pod and a patron, and you've been on two special episodes the monopuff part one which we should definitely get on a part two in a month or two mm-hmm. i would say and now that i've done two state songs episodes seems about right and uh then the um oh yeah and then recently on the flood tour preview episode which was an awesome one and i'm very excited about the tour now um, but we haven't had you on a regular weekly episode so uh We'll talk about both of your guys' uh, history uh, as They Might Be Giants fans. Uh, and Matt, it's your, your first time on. So uh, let's get that going first. So, John, why don't you tell us, uh, people know you all around Miscellaneous T Facebook group. You're involved with the wiki. You're on YouTube and stuff with various They Might Be Giants related things <laughs> and other stuff. So tell us about your history of fandom with They Might Be Giants. Sure. Uh, so, um, <laughs> I'll start by saying the same thing everyone does, but, uh, tiny tune adventures when I was yeah! a kid. Yeah. Particle man, Istanbul. I was watching that a lot. I was watching Animaniacs a lot. Um, but, um, I, I was too young at the time for that to stick with me, you know, as a band name. And then, um, a few years later, Malcolm in the middle, well, you know, almost 10 years later. Um, so when I really became a fan was summer 2002. Uh, I was around 12 years old and I had a friend at day camp who was very into They Might Be Giants because of his dad. And uh, he, you know, we, we shared a lot of interests. So he thought I was a candidate and uh, he gave me the No album, mm. which I was, uh, you know, because we were 12, 13, whatever, you know, you'd think maybe we were a little old for it, but I ended up loving it. Like mm-hmm. all the melodies, the really clever lyrics, uh, it just took a hold of me. And from then out, I got, you know, Flood, Lincoln. And then later in the year, what really flipped a switch was they put out a two disc set, Dial a Song 20 Years of They Might Be Giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got that at Tower Records. And uh, the, you know, the first disc is all their hits up to that point, but the second disc, is full of all these amazing like deep cuts, album yeah. cuts, B sides. Um, so that just like blew my mind open, and from then on, I was like, you know, 
Yeah, dude. Fully that's, into it. That's that's the collection that because right around that time was when I met my wife. When we started dating, uh, she realized how much I was into this band, and she went out and that's the, what she bought. Oh, cool. Uh, that was the newest thing at the, t- the newest like compilation at the time, and uh, yeah. and we kept it even though I have like all the material elsewhere. I'm like, it's a uh, it, it's a special one because it was uh, what started my wife on the road to fandom. Uh, and she figured, you know, they were important enough band when we first met. She's like, I should probably learn a little something about this band. <laughs> so then how did you become like the, when, I mean, what was the, there was some sort of like ramp up into the super, <laughs> super fandom from regular fandom to super fandom to where you're involved online with like keeping the gears turning, you know, on I I mean uh, an uh, unofficial but sometimes kind of official capacity with the band. <laughs> How did that all start happening? Thank you. Um, well, I mean, uh, so a few months after that compilation, I saw them live for the first time. It was uh, at Town Hall in New York City. I got to meet John and John after because there was a little autograph signing, uh, which is very rare for them to do. Um, but I I don't know. I just. Uh, I, I was like fully, fully, fully into it. Um, and I was super into the internet at the time and like, you know, taking apart websites, seeing what makes them tick. Mm. And when I found this might be a wiki, uh, everything just kind of connected. And after like a few months of, of being on there all the time and trying to make it, you know, uh, what I thought was better, uh, the one of the co-founders, Brad Will, asked if I wanted to be an admin there. Um, so... Th- that was a huge honor, especially because I was just like a teenager in high school. Yeah. So what year are we talking here? We're still talking mid-aughts. So, yeah, this was uh, 2005, 2006. Yeah. Wow. It's um, been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. So, yeah, ever since then, I've just been, you know, as as um, active in the fandom as I can be. And, uh, you know, uploading concert videos to YouTube was a big thing for a while, taking photos. Uh and then when Facebook, you know, started blowing up and I saw that other bands were having successful groups, um, I decided to make it They Might Be Giants one. And that was, I think, six years ago now. And we've got 3,000 members and it's, yeah. uh, it's great. I love it. Yeah. One thing I was realizing is that, I, you know, I, I was very, like, kind of sporadically on, on Reddit and there just seemed to be like so much just like bullshit and like weird people over there. I kind of avoided it for the most part. But then like when I started doing the podcast and stuff, I'm like, well, I don't know. I'll start checking out, you know, what's on there and see if there's new fans I can get there. And there, there, it was a way to reach new people, but it didn't help that it was split a little bit. Someone made a slash, they might be giants. Someone made a slash TMBD, right. you know. Um, but like, you know, I'll post stuff on, you could post the same content on Miscellaneous T Facebook and on the Reddit. And get like no reactions or traction, get like four upvotes on Reddit, but then yeah. get like a whole thing going on Facebook or Twitter. And it just seems like that is one place where I think people should jump over there too, because it's kind of a nice layout to be able to talk about um, certain things and have like a, you know, like a back and forth about it. Yeah, I think it, it's kind of the way Reddit is designed, where, you know, the default subreddits, uh, will hit your front page much sooner than like a niche one like that, just because of the number of upvotes and activity. Right. Right. Uh, did you, did you know I'm an admin on the TMBG subreddit too? I did not. Yeah. <laughs> of course you are. I mean, I, you know, I see you around there and once I find out what your, uh, what your handle was around all the other places, I'm like, Oh, there he is. 
right yeah. yeah the band recently reached out to us at the subreddit um to try to drive attention to flood's 30th anniversary so we kind of partnered with them a little bit went back and forth in email yeah 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 i mean i, th- I think i did post at least the you know the teaser portion of the flood episode and some of them it'll blow up like careful what you pack it's like 30 upvotes and people are talking all about it and then i'm like dan hickey's on an episode three upvotes no comments I'm like what is going on yeah. this is so bizarre like i can't make rhyme or reason of it you know twitter i'm starting to figure out how to really you know use the the format in the right way but uh mm-hmm. reddit i can't seem to figure out anyway that's another topic and we got a lot to talk about so let's jump on over to matt lee matt i don't know much about you uh your name is matt lee i know that much at least i think your name is matt lee yeah and uh you're looking spooky in the dark over there Sorry, now. All the lights uh, till, no it's uh it's it's a cool vibe, especially for the uh, detective type theme. You're going all film noir on us. Why don't you tell us about uh, your history of fandom with They Might Be Giants, and just tell us a little bit about yourself since you've never been on before? Uh, yeah, so I'm Matt Lee. Um, I'm a writer and director uh, by, I guess, passion and a, uh, a sysadmin by day. Um, and I'm British, as you can hear by my voice. Hopefully. Um, what? <laughs> I live in. I actually live in Boston, Massachusetts now. So I have a bit of a weird history about with the band. Uh, I'm also uh, hearing John speak there. I, I realize uh, I'm shockingly a lot older. Uh, so I remember. I, I think I'm coming. I'm out. I'm thirty. I'm thirty-eight. So I'm I'm okay. Yeah, a little bit yeah, older. Yeah. So you're like my age. So yeah. So flood coming out. Uh, I remember watching a BBC like morning kids show called uh, I think it's either the 8.15 or 9.15 from Manchester. It's like a local, like a BBC kids show. And I remember the band coming on, they demoed dial a song on a cordless, like landline phone <laughs> and then uh, played uh, or what I thought they were playing was uh, birdhouse. It turns out to my disappointment much later, they were just, doing in typical BBC fashion, miming along to the actual album track. Right. Yeah, this is the stuff we don't hear about, because it seems like there's a lot of fans in England, there's a lot of fans in Australia, but it seems most people that have their hands in, you know, like like I said, like making the gears turn of the fan community and stuff are mostly in in New York, or at least the US. So I don't... Had you ever heard of this program, this appearance, John? Uh, I mean, yeah, the name of the show is familiar. I've gone on, you know, big binges watching old TMBG appearances on YouTube, so right. it probably came across at some point. Okay. The funny thing is, you know, they they had to mime on English TV, as you were saying, and, uh, and Flansburg recently discovered a DAT tape, or I guess a few of them, with all these instrumental versions of Flood songs, and now they're, now they're making karaoke versions on YouTube out of those. But those those were recorded just for like lip syncing along on TV. Yeah, they also have the weird thing of uh, not to sort of tangent too much, but like uh, they also have to do a separate video for the statue got me high because <laughs> showing ninjas was illegal on BBC at the time or against the BBC guidelines. Wait, what? Yeah. So <laughs> say ninjas, ninjas so and fire in the UK are called the hero turtles. Straight up. <laughs> That music you've heard a million times, they redid it for the UK market. 
because Teenage Mutant Hero, Hero Turtles. Right. Yeah. Wow. Weird. What? And what's wrong with ninjas? I don't know. They're going to incite violence in kids. The BBC had, at the time at least, this kind of stranglehold over like the morality of the UK in the media, and wow. so whatever they uh. said was kind of the deal. Yeah. Weird. Jeez. But uh, I thought it was going to be about it saying it got me high. No, 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 no. I was no. thinking you were going that way. That's fine. You can get as high as you like. You just can't <laughs> do it while committing acts of uh, martial arts, you know. You just can't karate chop the high people. Right, right, right. Leave them and be. And they also, like, cut out all the, like, That's nunchucky stuff in uh, in the cartoon, too. So like, they just cut away from it constantly. So, like, episodes are shorter and, yeah. That, okay. That's weird. <laughs> okay, so... So, yeah, then how did your fandom continue? And also, when did you move to the U.S.? So, I, I bought Flood on cassette uh, around, like, probably 1992, I want to say. I think I taped something off the radio. But uh, 92, I was, you know, at that point, I was, like, 12, 13. I was having some money of my own. So, I bought the cassette album. Um, but you couldn't really get the previous two albums in any, at least at the time, any meaningful way I could discover. And so... What I ended up having was Flood and then Miscellaneous Tea a couple of years later. And that was kind of all I had for a while. And then when, uh, really when you could start to sort of buy things on, on online, not music, like downloads, but you could buy like cdnow.com was a thing. Suddenly I could then order CDs from America. Right. Have them shipped over. They'd arrive like three months later. <laughs> uh and I have them, and it was kind of cool. And then, uh, yeah, and then that was that was it for a while. Um, got a job finally, and would repeatedly call Dial a Song uh, overseas from my office. Uh, it's free if you call from work, right? That was the slogan, you know. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I definitely called from work a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, really when when iTunes and those kind of things started to become more apparent, I had the e music, uh, long tour weekend. Uh, Thing. I'm actually still on eMusic now, which is, seems like a lifetime ago now. I still pay eMusic ten bucks a month. Uh, whoa! And have done for the last twenty years. I'm probably, whoa! That's probably not. Wow! Yeah, you should own you know, the company. Well, at this all point. these things die, and I can just, <laughs> just buy it, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. No DRM. No D- oh, That was always my thing. There's no the no DRM with eMusic, right? So yeah, you know. Huh. Yeah, I mean they got in before that whole thing. I mean, can, I mean, can you guys explain DRM? I mean, we just we just threw the it out DRM, there. I think a lot of people uh, don't know what that means. They would like you to think of it as digital rights management, but I always think of it as digital restrictions management in the sense of like it's basically a codified set of rules from a company like Apple or from Microsoft or whoever else that are basically like you can't copy this song uh-huh. onto say for you know when DRM was on iTunes, this song can only work on an iPod can't work on a windows zoom or whatever the hell you know um Ah. that's all kind of gone away at this Uh point in time but that was the deal for music at least it's still the case now for videos and stuff but yeah i just remember this without going on too long of a tangent that the my morning jacket album z there was this whole thing where people were putting it into their computer and it was like uh, the sony root destroying things that Yeah, so that's yeah, DRM-related, right? Uh, they had their own version of these things, and what Sony did was kind of nefarious. They put basically like Windows software on the disk so that when you put the disk into Windows PC, it would like install this software without permission, and that software would then like make changes to a computer, basically. 
and those things were not tested very well, clearly, and they broke a lot of people's computers and they had a big whole lawsuit about it. But also, they were also, I think they were also hit from the other end of like the CD like branding organization, whoever that is, like the seed that like the company that owns the compact disc logo was like, you can't call this compact disc because it doesn't right. conform to the compact disc standard anymore. Which Sony created with Philips in the 70s. So it was a whole like Sony ended up kind of eating their own tail with DRM. Do you uh, do you listen to the podcast Tech Stuff, either of you guys? No. It's from I think it's iHeartRadio, but Tech Stuff. Okay. There was a whole thing about I mean, and I'm not, I mean, you guys are much techier than I, so maybe it'd be too basic for you, but there are things where he'll go into like, it'll end up being like multiple hour long episodes about shit like, like that. It's, uh, it's very interesting to me. I've never understood enough of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, all the tech stuff, having grown up like pre-internet and then dial up and then this and like all the various forms of media and stuff. The first stuff I ever bought was cassettes, you know? Speaking of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles soundtrack was one of the early. <laughs> oh, the, the movie soundtrack. I'm sorry, Teenage Mutant Hurdles, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. I can't even say it; it just doesn't roll off the tongue. The, the movie, yeah, the movie soundtrack. The movie was still called Ninja Turtles because the movie was in the theaters, right? So that wasn't controlled by the BBC. Oh wow! So like, it's only the TV show. But then people yeah. were probably confused. Like, wait, is this a ripoff? Yeah, I'm sure they were, right? But also, like, I guess I think I guess at some point everyone knew because, like, I think. While the toys came out under the Hero Turtles name, like they, you know, they brought out so many of those toys, like hundreds of oh, them. Oh yeah, again, like the, the the samurai ones and the I watched that Netflix show too. That, the toys that made us. Most of those didn't come out in the UK. So ah. I think a lot of those came out and they were imported, and so a lot of things that were not the basic stuff were Ninja Turtles branded anyway. So <laughs> that's so weird. Okay, so yeah. um, let's see. We keep getting derailed off to... Did, did we finish your story of fandom? I don't know that we did. So, yeah. So, uh, moved to the U.S. in 2008. And since then, I've seen the band live an awful lot of times. Like, 50 times. So, right after... So, basically, like, right after She Was a Hotel Detective in the Future came out on the <laughs> Else bonus disc, you're like, okay, fuck it, I gotta move... Finally, I got to move closer to the Jets. I'm on the plane. I'm like, fuck it. Let's get on a plane, go to Boston, find this band's, like, you know, sort of heritage hometown area-ish around Boston, right? And, you know, and, and, and yeah. Got that case. One of the first times I ever saw them at actually was at the house. Uh, you're ranting about Reddit reminding me of, I, uh, was, I used to live in the same apartment as the Reddit founders. Oh. Like, they moved, they moved out one by one. Wow. And then people that I knew moved in, and so I lived in the same apartment, like the same dirty apartment they did, <laughs> right after them. And we yeah. had lots of Reddit alien graffiti, just like scrawled on the furniture yeah. and stuff that they've done when they lived there. Yeah. And so that's funny. Yeah, that was like one of the first shows in 2008, I want to say. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think I remember about that show weirdly is that. Uh, Flan's family came along. Huh. So his like brother that you know is mentioned in all those songs is like there while he's singing the songs. <laughs> awesome. It's a bit, you know, cool. That's always cool. I saw the Hives once. I mean, they're one of my. They're they're up there as like the greatest live acts of still active bands, and they're not active enough. But I saw them once in Chicago, where and they're from Sweden. 
and mm. their kids, like some of their kids were up in like one of the opera boxes and they're like waving yeah. up and there's these little like blonde boys waving back down. I'm like, this is adorable. <laughs> I think it might've been the last show of the tour. And then they were all like, you know, they met him there and then they're flying yeah. back or something. But that's, that's, uh, it's really cute when you see, uh, cause it reminds me of my days, my early days renting in Knights of Columbus Hall and my parents having to chaperone because I was underage renting a a, a hall to do a show. <laughs> you know, so like my parents still come to my shows when they when they visit town. They they love it. Nice. Yeah. And I'm past the point of it being embarrassing by a long margin. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And they listen to every episode of the podcast. Like they're retired now. Every every time an episode oh. comes out, they're like my mom will text me and she'll be like, Oh, the thing you said about this and I'm like, wait that came out like uh, dropped like an hour ago. I'm like, you already listened to that, but you know, they're retired. Your biggest fan. So I got into them Apollo 18. And so the first hotel detective song had come out and I heard that I had not yet heard the, I don't know. It was quite a while till I actually heard the, um, non parentheses version because I did not buy, as the Miss T folks know, I just bought the CD of uh, the Back to Skull EP. And I'm like, right. what the fuck is this this container it's coming in? This is weird. And <laughs> so bizarre. Yeah, it's like the cheap DVDs you buy in the dollar rack. Um, and then, yeah, and then obviously the Hotel Detective in the Future was way later. Um, but the video, I don't know if I even saw the video immediately because i did not have mtv so mom why didn't you get me mtv (laughs) i know you're listening i want my mtv i want my mtv so um but i was aware of the song i don't think i knew that it was like a single like that was i don't know you know when you're younger and you're not extremely online because it's dial up i guess you don't realize like what the hits are i mean it was an album era where you'd listen to the full album and you'd have your favorite songs. But to me, uh, I mean, I like the song, but it wouldn't have been one I would first put on like a mixed tape, like an actual tape. I always liked it. Um, but then I think when the uh, when I first saw the video, I'm like, oh, they were pushing it as a single? Okay, it's a really cool video. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me like the song more. But that was my experience with the song, is that my history with the song is that, you know, I had to go backwards to hear it. Didn't see the video for a while. Didn't hear the sequel, and then the future one didn't come out. You know, till two thousand seven or whatever. Um, so it's just a weird. It's this this whole string of Hotel Detective songs is just weird. But let's talk about the original one first, as if it's the only one that exists. Okay, and kind of set up the story. What do you say? Does that sound like a plan? Let's do it. Do it. So Flansburg lead vocal comes in screaming laughing kind of his uh maniacal personality that he's he's put on in in multiple occasions but this i guess was probably the uh i mean you know off the first album this was like the introduction to this side of flans because the guys always put on a lot of characters and stuff especially in the early age and you had i mean puppet head was kind of like straight ahead flans voice um hideaway folk family was that mournful ballad flans voice uh 
Then, let's see. Then you got um, well, 32 foot steps. I guess Flans has just done the backups on that one. But, like, you know, so it really hits you when it gets to Hotel Detective. Because even right. though it's like a swinging kind of jazzy number, it's like full, like, electric blues, you know, this pumped up jazz with all those saxes, and he just comes screaming at you. So what were your guys' first thoughts when you heard it? Because to me, it was kind of uh, uh, shocking in that it totally broke the previous, you know, it's hard to imagine hearing it for the first time, but playing it through as an album, and then all of a sudden there's like this swinging number, and right. uh, Flans is screaming at you. Uh, it's also the, it's the first song on side B of the record, yeah. True. I had it on CD, though, so I don't think I would have even thought about that. Um, but, I mean, it definitely is a good song to, uh, yeah, it's a, it is a good starter track. So I guess it didn't start the album, started side B. I don't know, John, what, what did you think of it when you first heard this song? What do you think of the style of this original Hotel Detective? Like I was saying, I got into the band when I was in my early teens. This was definitely one of the songs I heard earlier. Um, I, I can't remember now if it was on the Dial a Song 2 CD album, but I know I, I definitely saw the music video then. I had the Direct from Brooklyn DVD. Um, and it, it stood out to me in a way that's funny because it, uh, it doesn't really seem like the prototypical They Might Be Giant song. It, if, you, if you take out the lyrics, it's kind of a straightforward rocker uh, on an otherwise pretty, you know, um, I don't know, interesting, zany kind of sounding album but like a blues rocker and blues is not like a go-to genre for the johns necessarily yeah. you know you don't you don't hear a lot of just pentatonic wailing from dan miller or whatever like they don't just fall into that like so many bands seem to do especially as they get older they're like let's just recycle some riffs and then those blues riffs keep coming around that's never been like their go-to so i think that's part of what hit me is that's like because they've done swinging stuff but really, at that point in the album, like, you know, they got Lie Still on Lincoln, and, you know, that swinging thing became, you know, uh, not uncommon. But just how in your face this one is about it yeah. is kind of unique. Right? Yeah, I, I think part of why it was chosen as a single is because, like, musically, it's pretty straightforward and accessible. You know, like, it, I don't know if it was really sure. maybe a little out of place in the middle of the 80s, but, like, you know, this song could have fit in somewhere a bit earlier, I think, Maybe. in the canon of blues rock. And yeah, but what if it had come out during the swing dance revival of the fucking late nineties? <laughs> How about that? Take that, cherry popping daddies. There you go. <laughs> come on, swing with me. How about that? That would have been better than all that. Most of that was trash. Matt, what did, what uh, what are your thoughts on the the style? The let's let's talk about musical elements before we get into the whole lyrical thing because that's going to be a whole a whole deal having had miscellaneous tea for such a long time before i had the first two albums to me the miscellaneous tea like the single mix is the version of the song that i think of when i think of the original song and so even though they're not that different uh i think along the way i also picked up i think they did have a brief i think it was released on single in the uk on vinyl uh but i Thinking about it now, I think I bought that in the era of uh, cheap available vinyl and not having a record player. <laughs> and so I don't actually know if I've ever listened. I know I have the record, but I'm not sure I've ever listened to the actual vinyl recording. I know I just have the miscellaneous TCD. Um, 
So the difference, so, yeah. just to tell the people, the difference is that, I mean, I think the thing that most people notice is just the longer sax intro, right? Yeah, there's longer between a lot of the lyrics <laughs> and music in general. There's like, just like longer gaps, basically. The, the right. album version is like about 30, 40 seconds longer, I think, than the, the single version. I'm seeing only a 10 second difference. Am I wrong? Maybe. So two two minutes and 10 seconds for the album version. And then we got two minutes and 20 seconds for uh, okay. the single wow. mix, which is yeah. on the 20 years, the dial a song 20 years. Right. At the end of disc one, John, it is on there. Oh, cool. Yeah. The single, the single mix. Yeah. Yeah. According to the wiki, it's, uh, the fade in at the beginning, the drum part, uh, Linnell's sax is more prominent on the single mix, mm-hmm. and I, the the um, there's backup vocals that I think are only on one of them. Yeah, Peter Pearmain, who Peter Pearmain right. Thompson, uh, and there's currently no text in this page. I think we need to figure out who that is <laughs> right now. Right now, well, I don't know. I'm going to type his name and we'll see what happens, but. For the time being, I think, uh, again, before we get to the lyrics, let's talk about the demo, because, I mean, we first would have heard this album version or the single mix version, but let's go back to the... Uh, help me out, Sean. What should we play What should we play here? Yeah, the, the, the 1985 demo tape version. His vocal delivery is definitely different. Yeah, I to me when I first heard this, I I uh, I couldn't believe how different it was because I was listening through the '85 demo tape with a friend. We'd managed to get the actual tape off eBay. Nice. And uh, when I, when when it got up to the song, I was like, "Whoa!" Because like it, in it sounds like a Halloween version of the song. Something about <laughs> it is just like every, everything's distorted, trippy, spooky. Yeah, v- different vibe. I mean, it is a dark song in general. Like the uh, and you know more when we talk about the lyrics, just like the whole like film noir kind of aspect, and that plays into the video and all that. Um, just the dark lighting and all that. So it makes sense for it to be a little. Uh, Ominous, right? I Peter Peter Pearman Thompson is. I'm coming up with nothing. Yeah, Wait, every Google result right? is about him being in Hotel Detective. He wrote a book in 2007. Are you sure same, it's the right one? Same guy. I mean, having three names seems like it would be more likely to get the right guy. Yeah. I mean, if it's just Peter Thompson, that would be. No, it's it's, it's all three names. It's called Secret Secret Sea: A Journey to Lake Baikal. Baikal. Yeah. So then, how how does this guy end up doing backup vocals on the single mix? What is I don't. Yeah, I think back in the day, they might be giants were using their friends a lot. You know, yeah. like uh, Flans used his ex girlfriend on Boat of Car on the same album. So you know, maybe just had a friend with a voice that he thought would work. And the book, it's actually the opening page of the book contains three references to uh, what looks like um, David Byrne songs. So oh, there you go. Huh? Okay. He's into music at least, and there's a yeah, there's something there. So I'm trying to see if I can find how old the guy would be if he's in a book, but I don't think necessarily always has that in a huh. thing. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, I love that 1985 demo tape. That whole thing is just amazing. I would love to have an actual tape 
version. Because while while I'm against new releases on cassette, I did cassettes in the 90s with my bands. I don't want to buy something new on cassette. If it originally came out on cassette, I want that fucking cassette. Like, I want all that early <laughs> Mountain Goat stuff. I've bought Daniel Johnston stuff, like his manager. And I assume uh-huh. even in his passing, I assume his manager is still... Um, like hand dubbing those and and making them exactly like like Daniel did in the eighties. That those are the cassettes I want, and I would love to have an actual cassette copy. And you've had the authenticity has been confirmed. Oh, there. I mean, there's no fakes of it. I don't. They might be giants or not a uh, a big enough band where people are making you know counterfeit merch. Probably, yeah, probably not. Yeah, I'd hope not. At least, I mean, that seems like shady if people are making copyright, are making copies of those tapes. And- yeah, I don't know. You'll see different shades of yellow. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This yellow isn't quite right. It's a well, fake. There, there are not to get pedantic, but there are different yeah, shades. Of I know, yellow. I yeah. know. Which <laughs> one's the official. real one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. That. Yeah. So that demo is great, and they. I guess smoothed it out a little bit for the album version, but it's still, I think it's still pretty got a dark vibe to it. You know, despite yeah. being a swinging, a swinging number, it's got that vibe to it. There's a, there's some trivia, trivia on the wiki about Flansburg hurting his hand playing the guitar solo. Oh, what do we got? So Linnell says the record company chipped in for John's hospital bills after he injured himself recording the guitar solo on Hotel Detective. Now that we know his blood type, it makes performing the song easier. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. That's from 1987. So that's like a fresh, fresh interview. That's not them like way Hotel Detectives in the future, like making up some shit about something that happened back then. So... That that's pretty hilarious. Hurt himself record. That makes it seem like he was shredding so hard that his fingers started bleeding, which is the way I'm going to picture it. I like that. <laughs> How do you hurt yourself playing a guitar solo? Like, oh, I did a bend and I overextended my my ring finger. Ouch. Strings are sharp. Yeah, not the part you put your fingers on necessarily. <laughs> I mean, well, the guitar itself is mentioned as being a new old stock guitar from the from the eighties, uh, early eighties. So, who knows how long that thing sat in storage before they got hold of it for one day to make a video? You know, so. right? So, I don't know if that's the guitar he's playing on the record. I mean, it's in the video, but yeah. I don't know. You know, that is a very iconic guitar. I love that fucking guitar. The uh, Bo Diddley style rectangular, you know, it almost looks like those um, cigar box guitars they make, but you know, big, bigger and more badass. And uh, but did he record with it? I don't know. But yeah, maybe the corners of it. He hurt himself on one of the corners of the body of the guitar. The guitar's too pointy. Okay, so yeah, let's get to the lyrics so right in the trivia we got a hotel detective and this is this is what i spent most of my time looking up you know while i was eating dinner just now is what the fuck is with these hotel detectives because back in the day i just took it as you know straight up there is a lady who's you know finding the bad guys at this hotel but then i never really bothered to look up like is that actually a thing but then um I did some Googling, and then here on the, the, on the wiki, we got uh, Hotel Detective is a hired sleuth who monitors the security of a hotel and investigates various security or rule violations. In recent years, these tasks have been left for 
uniformed security staff employed by outside security agencies, but the occupation was romanticized by noir fiction authors like Raymond Chandler in the 1930s. And when I was Googling stuff, pretty much all that it was coming up was like, well, they used to call them that, and it's in these old movies and these old books, and that it was a plainclothes person who would just have, I mean, I guess it would be in a, probably in a fancier, big hotel. Right. But in the Midwest, going to the Holiday Inn as a <laughs> kid, there were no hotel detectives. So I was like, that's something they might be giants made up. Had you guys heard of, like, <laughs> were you aware of that being a thing when you... You know, were initially introduced to the song that that was actually a job people had. Not initially, but uh, in the intervening years, I I watch a lot of the TV show Monk, and there is an episode of that where they go to like vacation somewhere else, and he ends up solving a mis- uh, a crime uh, with the hotel detective uh, uh, in the hotel, and so she's very happy to get like someone experienced like him helping her out, and she has all the kind of the trademarks of being a a wannabe sleuth she has like you know individually wrapped toothpicks that she like to chew on because she that's in her mind that's what she should be doing because she's a detective in a hotel but you know <laughs> the majority of the crimes i'm getting I'm guessing are like pretty mundane and then right. uh, you know you get a murder suddenly and uh you know kick into gear so in that show it was someone who had not really been a detective on the police force but was this hotel detective right like sort of like a it's like a security guard, almost. I guess. What do you think of it like that? Like, you know. Because what I was finding in my googling was that in the past, typically there were like old, you know, old retired cops, people that actually were cops or detectives. That would be like their retirement plan was to just like chill out in their plain clothes at the bar or whatever, hang around the front door, or maybe walk the halls now and then, and be a hotel detective, which you know. And I think, you know, a lot of retired cops or cops that get in trouble end up being security guards. But it had more of like an air of like authenticity and that this guy, you know, these hotel detectives were important uh, back then. And they were hired because they did have qualifications and there would be security, but they were like the head of the security. And that was like right. their, their rank. Detective is above the other, you know, officers or uh, corporals or whatever it is. Um, but as far as regular hotel security, they were the head, but also did like the undercover thing. Which makes sense, right? So if you think of a hotel as, you know, a few hundred people, uh, you want to have at least one person who's not obviously security doing right. security work. You know, I mean, uh, I do security work uh, in my job and I don't dress like a detective. Plain clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you blend in. Maybe like in the TV shows, you should wear a plain black hat because... I just keep noticing this and yelling every time we watch something where someone's like trying to be sneaky and they put on a plain black cap. I'm like, who owns a plain black cap with no logo on it? Why would you wear a plain black baseball cap? You're sticking out. You should yeah, wear a hat like Matt neat. that has some numbers on it. That's like when Doc tells Marty <laughs> to wear something conspicuous. <laughs> right. What are the numbers on your hat, Matt? What does that say? 2,600? Uh, yeah, that's a, a, a magazine on a website for like oh. hackers and security stuff. And- well... Yeah, you guys are techie. Um, speaking of tech, my laptop battery is dying, so I'm going to go grab the power cord real quick. All right, cool. All right, now we take over, John. It's now our podcast. <laughs> what do we call it? Rebranding. Uh, rebranding, quickly. Uh, there may be a podcast. This was a podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Scott. And I'm Craig. 
together we host a podcast called Best Midwestern, part of the Punk News Podcast Network. Uh, we have a uh, new episode coming out right now about the great state of Kansas. Learn all about all the fun facts of Kansas you never knew. Uh, like, for example, which porn star is from Kansas that is currently <laughs> married to Stormy Daniels? There's a fun one. Uh, regardless, it'll be a good episode regardless. Tune in uh, at Best Midwestern on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcast, and follow us online at Best Midwestern. People are going to love our chemistry. People are used to me talking to all different people from all over the world about They Might Be Giants. But listen to me and Scott. We go way back. This dude spoke at my wedding and then saying Andrew WK. It was awesome. True. Listen to Best Midwestern, my other podcast. Scott, I've missed you. Everybody, check out Kansas. Alrighty. While you were gone, we decided this is now an entirely new podcast, and we're the host, and you're the guest. So. <laughs> it's about tech stuff that I don't understand. No, it's about the same subject, but we're... we're, we're oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's like the episode that Spencer did. He actually came down here from Chicago to do him in my basement, and we did oh, the, t- cool. the two episodes, and the second one... He was he was like, let's do it so that I pretend like it's an episode of the dictionary. His his podcast. How far from Chicago are you? Uh, two and a half hours. Okay. I grew up in Chicago, like, so we're up there. I all like the, time. the trains. I don't like to fly too much. So next time I'm in Chicago, I will I will actively consider pinging you in advance and coming down for two and a half hours to record a thing in your basement. <laughs> yeah, dude. All right. So um, let's see. Where is a good spot to pick up here? Are we? Uh, yeah, lyrics. Well, I had I had a thought just now. Yeah, what do you got, Sean? We were talking about how, you know, hotel detectives, they're essentially, you know, this kind of security guard with different responsibilities. And it, it got me thinking, I think Flansburg might kind of have, um, you know, an interest or, uh, in this kind of unsung noble profession because he's got the song Night Security with Monopuff, which was like 10 years after this. So to have a song about night security and a song about a hotel detective, you know, written by one person. Yeah. Maybe something there. He could appreciate the kind of the the jobs that maybe, you know, aren't like the most glamorous jobs in the world. Yeah. I think he has that kind of anti-work vibe that I like about him, too, because he has the human resources, especially human resources song on there. Well, and also the they're like the boss as far as the security team goes. So if you're the hotel detective, you're not taking orders from anybody. Also, maybe he likes the idea that you're mostly just sitting around. (laughs) 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 So something happens. Uh, So let's get actually to the lyrics. I I do think there's something there uh, talking about Flans is, you know, kind of, I mean, the Giants have always been kind of a timeless band in that... Their songs age well for the most part outside of like some, you know, some of the drum machine stuff is pretty recognizable as 80s. But like they, they've never like firmly grabbed onto trends. They always just kind of do their own thing. And they've always pulled references from all over the map. I mean, literally all over the map, but also just like time wise current stuff. I mean, like Road Movie to Berlin is like the one that comes to mind right away. It's like this is something that's happening right now. Cold War ending, blah, blah, blah. But usually they're pulling from pretty much anywhere uh any type of media any type of historical event like nothing's off limits and i think this old school stuff definitely appeals to the guys in that they're like let's write about something that doesn't really and i think even by the 80s i doubt there were people called hotel detectives i think it was already kind of it was like a thing of the 30s and 40s is what it seems like Mm. to me i found a quote to get back one second um 
Flansburg says about night security, I used to park cars as a teenager. I always liked it. I was the guy in the little booth, and that's where I used to play the guitar. So oh, that wow. actually could be, I think that, yeah, I think, I think John, you kind of hit on something there. That's, that's definitely a thing. Yeah. So cool. a job where he can sit around and play guitar. Right. And then, you know, someone comes in, he does the thing, plays more guitar. He sits behind his little desk with his little TV and that's his night security job. And, and you can kind of see from that, like almost maybe like sitting there playing the guitar, kind of noodling around, dreaming about the past, that 50s, 60s kind of version of that same job and that's much more what the song's about you know i also think any guitar player in general anybody learning how to play the guitar you're going to learn about the blues and if not the blues like the rock that came directly from the blues and how those you know three or four chords fit together and how you know certain scales work if you're wanting to learn how to do solos or if you're a bass player playing scales like so the blues is kind of that um I mean, for one, they're singing about an old-fashioned kind of job using a very old-fashioned kind of music, but their own take on it, you know, the Giants' take on, um, I mean, there was, you know, City Blues is what eventually turned into, you know, Dixieland jazz, but they're, they're kind of entwined, that jazzy, you got the saxophone, you got the, the I mean, they're doing like electric B.B. King kind of blues um, more on this but i think i think it's definitely some synergy there between the lyrics and the music in that it's uh you know old timey like uh swing song electrified uh and then about this profession that doesn't really exist or at least isn't called that anymore so i think it's cool in that respect the uh how it kind of ties together for me I found some statistics here from the U.S. Department of Labor Oh boy! <laughs> uh, in 2007 where they actually recognized that it's still a job title. Really? At least, yeah. They keep undesirable individuals as just known thieves off the premises of the hotel. So it's more of a, not like internal to the hotel itself, but it's like almost like watching over the hotel on like plain clothes undercover. So you're kind of like, because you're an ex-cop, you would know the, the, the bad guys in the city or whatever, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. That's uh, interesting. So do people still get that title? I mean, they wouldn't just be called yeah. head of security? I mean... Seems like uh, it's a salaried, it's a regular salary profession. Yeah, it's... it's uh, it, it, uh, earnings uh, vary by geographic area, but yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. And then you get things like, I mean, we got the, the bellhop and the dumbwaiter. Not that bellhops are completely gone, but like most hotels, I mean, you got to go to a pretty ritzy or like an established old hotel for them to still have bellhops. I'm not sure I know what a bellhop is. What is a bellhop? Yeah. I mean, it's someone that, that helps you with your bags, essentially. And I think the bellhop okay. is that the person at the desk, when you check in, I think the, the etymology there is that... You know, they'd bring you'd ring the bell. The guest is there. They'd mm-hmm. ring the bell, and the bellhop you'd hop into action. I don't. I mean, I'm honestly just like guessing a, at this like point. Like Tim Curry's character in Home Alone Two, is that what I think it was a bellhop? Yes, okay. yes. Um, and a dumbwaiter. Dumbwaiters, I think, were phased out long before the song. Oh too. yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's like a dumbwaiter is that like con- like conveyor belt? Yeah, it's like a little little elevator for like yeah, putting food, food elevator know, meals between floors <laughs> well, those yeah. things exist in boston yeah. at least right now huh. still a lot, of, Whoa. a lot of boston has a lot of like basement so a lot of buildings in like restaurants in boston are, are quite old and they have like the basement kitchen upstairs uh, dining oh cool so they use those things a ton yeah yeah my, cool. my sister so, like, hand operated right my sister lives in cambridge but last time i was there i don't know i'll have to keep an eye out for uh 
dumb yeah. waiters. Yeah, yeah. So in this song, it's a monkey doing that work. The dumb waiters, the monkey a monkey. Would be so the, the tables. Yeah, right. Yeah, or the monkeys just or climbing. the monkeys bringing the food. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, right. Climbing up a shaft. Climbing, the, climbing up and down. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking up a shaft, right, where the dumb waiter used to be. Now it's a monkey. Josh. <laughs> So so I think the main crux of the discussion with the lyrics that I wanted to question you guys about is so I look in the interpretations and and like I said I had always just been like straight up it's some lady who wants to get these bad guys and you know is going to catch them um or at least some lady that's getting guys in trouble for whatever reason. But then I look at the interpretations tab on the wiki, and they're like, oh, it's slang for a prostitute. And they're, and they're like, oh, yeah, it is. And then I go and Google that, and like nothing comes up. I go to Urban Dictionary, Hotel Detective is not slang for a prostitute there. And just Googling, like, I don't know, maybe it's the, the way I'm Googling it, but I put like Hotel Detective, and then just Google that. And then hotel detective prostitute, and it just comes up with like prostitution rings that are busted at hotels. Like it's not saying that that's a slang, but then I was thinking about when I watched the Deuce. I feel like maybe they used that slang in the show The Deuce, the James Franco HBO show. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched that, but what do you guys think? Is this about a woman who's a detective in the hotel, or is it about a prostitute? I, so I'm Googling right now, hotel detective, prostitute, hotel detective, hooker, and the, this might be a wiki's interpretations page is the first right. thing on Google. I'm, I think people are just kind of, uh, you know, sometimes people try to find meaning that's not there or sexualize a lyric. Oh, they love that. But I, I, think, I think this song is pretty straightforward. Yeah. I think so too, yeah. I think the only uh, interpretation that I could think of that wouldn't be straightforward, a person, would be... Uh, referring to the detective as being like, uh, you know, you kind of see those, like, again, in those kind of older movies, like, you have, like, certain rooms in a hotel are, like, wired for, like, spying on people. I'm sure, yeah. You know, the only thing I can think of, if it wasn't a literal human being, would be, like, referring to the system itself of the spying on people in a hotel. But I don't think that's... Right. I, don't think, I, think, I think it is straight up a literal, literal person, you know. And I think it's solidified by the artwork on the single, which is a woman dressed like, you know, in like a trench coat with a little hat on, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The orange and blue yeah. artwork, which was talked about extensively on the Patreon art episode, which part two is also being scheduled there. It's like Patreon scheduling city for me right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, we talked about that a lot, the style of that artwork on the... Um, was a single or an EP? EP, yeah. Yeah, so, but it shows... Well, you mentioning that just made me realize something What's funny. Because earlier earlier today in, in the Miscellaneous Tea Group, someone was talking about Kablam, the Nickelodeon right. show. And that, w- that was created by Mark Marrick. He drew that hotel detective art. He did all the art for the EP. He also made the uh, Underwater Woman video a few years ago. And all of the all of those things have very um, literal interpretations of the music. Yeah. Like you, what what you hear is what you get in the art. Right, right, and yeah. So it's the artist's interpretation of the lyrics. But I think if the Johns were like, uh, don't actually put a, ho- a detective on there, then he would have done something else. But yeah, we did talk about this extensively on that episode because we found I know all the the, the people that were on that episode, like Abby, found it very. Interesting, because it's almost Picasso-esque artwork, but not so much so that you can't tell that it's like 
the old film noir version of what a detective is. You know, she's lighting a cigarette. She's standing there with her shadow hanging over the, these, you know, with the guy in the bed or whatever. And he's also... She has a massive jaw. Oh, yeah. She's uh, tough. <laughs> and then right by the Bar Nun logo, there's another little drawing of this detective. Uh-huh. And so she's wearing a dress and like what looks like, you know, like fishnet stockings and high heels, but then has the trench coat and the hat over top. So it's an interesting kind of... Uh, Sexy, well, maybe, yeah. Vibe. Maybe there's a, a a part of that that's her regular dress, and part of that that's her undercover. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Oh, yeah. Right dress. when she's like, "I caught you, bitch! I'm a detective. Right. <laughs> I put on my trench coat real quick." Right, right. Actually, the the label itself is pretty awesome. It has she has her punching a guy under the chin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. We looked she at all this stuff. It's great. And then punches the guy, and it's like, right. ah, that's cool. <laughs> I think we've got like an opposite Clark Kent Superman situation here, where she actually puts on more clothes to reveal that she's the detective <laughs> instead of taking off a shirt and like Maybe I'm she Superman. Keeps her cigarettes, keeps the cigarettes in her coat pocket, and then she can, you know. Yeah. So uh, before we move on to the other ones, let's actually talk about the video because the video is pretty awesome. Like. For one, like the picture that's on the wiki, like the cartoonized version, and correct me if I'm wrong, this was like the first time that Johns made themselves into like drawings or cartoons. Am I right? Because this was an early single, well, early video. The, uh, the back cover of the Pink Album. Sure. Okay. So it. yeah, that would yeah. that would be the first one. But so there's been a lot of versions of the Johns over the years, including puppets and uh, other various you know w- ways to show the the two Johns, which I always find fascinating looking at you know because like linnell always wears glasses now for the most part except maybe on stage but like all the every time they're they're put into some other sort of medium some art flans got the glasses linnell's got the wavy hair and just the even though you look at them today and linnell's got his hair shorter it's darker going gray flans is going gray they both wear glasses it's like they're still gonna they still are going to put themselves like this in a cartoon. And I love the every, you know, fan art and official version of the Johns drawn like a cartoon. I just always, something about it just, just speaks to me. It's very cool to see yourself or see your, you know, uh, favorite band as cartoons. I yeah. just noticed that the, the Empire State Building is called the entire Snake Building in this video, too. <laughs> <laughs> love that. The entire stuff. that's fascinating yeah she i never she pulled it so i i saw this pretty late on i think i think i saw this yeah. on, on a, a, a videotape maybe a dvd but probably a videotape i mean because i i still have the vhs of the direct from brooklyn and that may have been the first time i saw it because like i said i didn't have yeah mtv to watch 120 minutes i mean i had friends at mtv but we'd mostly use it to watch you know very gory you know violent things more than or we watched Beavis and Butthead. I don't know if I don't think they ever appeared on a Beavis and Butthead episode, um, but that would have been great. No, that would, don't that would think have been so. fantastic. Um, but yeah, I love also the mix of uh, the live action and the cartoon. I always love that in a in a video because if it was like all cartoons, it would be cool. But then you'd be like, was the band even involved with this? You know, I right. see I see videos like that, and the and the they might be giants do a lot of videos like that now, where they'll have fan contests, they'll have other things. But when you can tell it's a really important song when you actually have the Johns in the video, because they do a lot of music videos. They didn't back then because it was a lot you know right. har- harder to make a video, a lot of money, you needed gear that not everyone had. But now they just kick out all these music videos. But when the Johns are actually in it, it's a special, special occasion. 
And in this case, instead of just being cartoons, they got the Johns in there. And I love the zoom in on the saxophone and all the like the wacky zooming camera work. Uh, it's just it's a great video on it. And like I said before, it really made me appreciate the song more. It's a great video. Yeah, a lot of work went into it, according to the the commentary track they do on the DVD, which is really yeah, funny. And there was no commentary on my VHS version. I guess I should actually just buy the right. DVD and have both. Oh, you that commentary track's fantastic. The whole DVD, so funny. Definitely get that. Well, what's some of the stuff that... Uh, do, you, do you recall any of it offhand? I think they uh, may have broken the saxophone to get the shot of it kind of falling at uh, the end. <laughs> nice. Uh. Um, and the words behind them were, were supposed to, I think, be a bunch of different messages, but they ended up barely coming out in the final product because they're, you know, in the background. Right. Yeah, what does that actually Rock say? music. Like rock music. Yeah. Rock yeah. music. It, it changes. It ch- and they put a lot of effort into oh. getting those gigantic letters, but you can't even see some of the words. One thing that's strange oh, yeah. to what me is, is that the, the, the cartoon imagery changes from, like, a key to a noose uh-huh. <laughs> and then to a bloody <laughs> dagger. And I'm like... I, that's an element I hadn't, I guess, caught up on the suicide element of this before. But that's that's a little dark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If there were if there were police on board at the hotel, they would investigate any crime, but also you know uh, a crime scene, you know, a, a scene of a suicide too. I mean, they would right. be there checking it out. Yeah, I really love these drawings, of John yeah, and John. Yeah, they're great. If they, like, ta- yeah, if they brought them back for some merch or like enamel pins or stuff, I'd buy that. Pins, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you should make the pins, John, and just make a m- bunch of money on pins. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> I would love if they if there was a shirt that had all the cartoon versions of them through the eras, all the different versions of cartoon Johns huh. just across a shirt. You know, yeah. that would be amazing. I love that. I also love the 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 style. We talked about the clock radio era of the website, all the different faces and different like historical figures right. and stuff. I love that style of that kind of cartoony but realistic. I do have a, a shirt with those faces on it from the old Flash site. Yeah. So if 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 you're listening, uh, Pete, to see if we're playing anything backwards, uh, the uh, you should come up with a shirt that has all of the all the cartoon versions of the Johns. He doesn't listen to this. I don't. I know he doesn't. Um, well, he, he should. should, right? We love the guys. I. I don't know. I just want him to realize that this is like, you know, even though we are fans, and I am a fanboy, I've been a music journalist in some capacity for eighteen years. I mean, wow. I know what I'm doing, and I'd be professional about it. You know, we goof around if it's just like a couple of jokers. You know, the episodes get silly, but. uh I think I would know how to handle it. And people have said that I handled the Marty and Danny episodes. Like, how did you even talk to Marty without just... Like, I remember Abby was like, how did you even keep it together? I'm like, I don't know. It's just... I sure, I guess I've done day, it before. Right? Yeah. 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 Right. Well, Marty was so humble at the whole beginning of it. He was just, like, so happy to be there. And yeah. uh, I loved to have him back on. But I sent him an email and I uh, haven't heard back. It's been a f- about a week. So, I don't know. We'll see. Marty, come back. We just aired the Dan Hickey episode. We're about to air the Brian Doherty episode in two weeks, I believe. And uh, Honestly, if you hadn't hit me on Twitter or on Facebook, I would not have responded to your email either because my inbox is accessible. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, Marty just doesn't have- seem to be like as online as, as 
like Danny. I have emails from yeah. 1992 that I have yet to respond to, and I have not deleted <laughs> them because at some point I will respond to them. <coughs> Wait, uh, you have an email account that's existed since 1992? Oh, yeah, what? man. So, y- yeah, Yahoo? We'll get into that a little bit if you want. Uh, Josh, I'm on we this probably thing should. Well. Uh, well. Well.com, and it's a, it's a forum that's been around since the mid 80s. And there actually is an ongoing thread about the band that's. Let me look it up right now, see how old what? this thread is. But it's old. What the. The bowels of the internet. Yeah. So, you know, the whole Earth catalog. That like '60s catalog thing. You aware of this? Uh, don't think no. so. No. Okay, so uh, in the '60s there is this like magazine, like big, hard, oversized book you can buy, right? Called the Whole Earth Catalog, and it basically contains a listing of all the phone numbers and I guess addresses of all of the like Whole Earth type things you can get at that time. So if you're, it's like Imagine it's like 1967 and you want to get like vegan food, right? Uh-huh. It's not available like everywhere. So you have to like write or you call the special people who are like doing these things. And it's like, it's a crazy good book to look at, right? But hmm. it's huge. It's like, it's like a telephone directory, but it's massively oversized. Yeah. Um, the same people who did that in the early 80s thought, hey, you know, like now we have modems and we can do some stuff. Let's set up like a bulletin board and I remember like those pay us yeah. and uh and and sign up and, and give us some money and dial, dial into this bulletin board thing and then at some point in the you know late 80s early 90s when the internet becomes available to the public they hook that thing up to the internet and you can start getting internet access through them or using it over the internet and so Man. It's been this, yeah wow so that yeah so Very that was cool. even going on before the whole World Wide Web. Before thing. the web, right, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, kind of, that's nuts. Yeah. Wow. I think you should respond to those emails. I mean, those people could be dead by now. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, given, you know, not much longer, I think I might be dead at this point. But, you know, there we go, right? I uh, mean, in two years, you could do the 30th anniversary tour of those emails. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please explain. Yeah, sorry sorry, my late, my late reply, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then it sends back an automated reply. This person has uh, died. Or so, more likely, this domain name is just like expired. That you know, that, uh, the entire address is expired because that person left college in 1994 or something. Right. Yeah. Dot edu. Oh, I happened mm. to come back late in life. I went back for my master's. They just gave me the same email address. I'm ha- I'm just seeing this. Uh, let's get on to the the sequel or the squeakquel as we may call it uh, and hopefully not the freakquel. Uh, she the freakquel she was a hotel detective confusingly titled without parentheses as a different song appears on the Back to Skull EP, which came out in August of 1994. So eight years later, Linnell, now Flansburg, is like, hey, that hotel detective thing was cool enough. Let's friggin' bring it back. Uh, What 
what do you make of this, guys? This is a weird song. It's Linnell only with Brian Doherty. Flans isn't even a part of it. Did Linnell write it in secret as a joke? Like, hey, we got a second Hotel Detective song. And they're like, let's put it on this, you know, as a B-side on this EP. What is the deal? What do you think, John? What What's going on with this song? Well, uh, there's a quote on the wiki saying uh, it was an attempt at a sequel song in the, the spirit of Peggy Sue got married and let's twist again. Yeah, both like follow up songs from way, way earlier. Um, I I think uh, in in the same vein where Linnell, you know, with the state songs project, he kind of was just looking for titles and then turning them into something completely different. Maybe he decided to look back at a title from earlier in the TMBG catalog, you know, take a character and uh, spin it into something else, something new. Yeah, I said almost the exact same thing when I was talking to my wife at dinner. Uh, just like trying to make sense of this and that was pretty much exactly what i said is is it's probably like because i was I'm fresh off of pretty fresh off another state songs episode and it's just like so i was telling adam Gorin, who was on that about how linnell that interview with npr is just like well i just you know i'm so lazy i'm tired of thinking up so yeah he's so <laughs> lazy tired of thinking up topics to songs so he's like hey we talked about hotel detectives let's do that again I don't, it's it's yeah. also like the the I palindrome I thing about how Flans had these two really weird demos and then it's like I don't know this isn't sticking but I palindrome I that phrase there's something there and then Linnell runs with it it seems to be yeah. kind of in the vein of those 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 kind of things where it's like hey Flans had this really cool idea and came up with this character I'm gonna do something else with it. Uh, with with yeah. Brian secretly. Now I'm just I'm just but I'm just gonna say, say it that does, it's secretly. It does kind of reference. Yeah, it it does. Yeah. I just want to think in my mind that he recorded it secretly yeah. as as some sort of gift <laughs> or gag to Flans, uh, because it goes along with the detective thing. He's just being sneaky. He's a sleuth. <laughs> what were you saying, John? Well, I, I mean, just because we don't hear Flans doesn't mean he wasn't necessarily involved. Oh yeah, yeah. Because sure, I don't think sure. they would. I don't think they always write all the credits for themselves. Um. But yeah, it does reference the original song. It references the title of the original song. She was a Hodel detective. But in in the first song, it seems like it's present tense. But now it's like we're talking past tense about this character and what they're doing later on. Now she's gotten promoted. Right. You know, how, how her life is now in comparison. Yeah. Okay. So Nighttime Lady, I'm just looking at this. And now I got the image of the, the original EP's artwork in my head. So I don't think it was the money. She didn't care about expensive things. And who knows, is it, see, thinking about that same detective uh, depicted in that artwork, but says she didn't care about expensive things, no furs or pearls or fancy cars or diamond rings. But the uh, the detective, like I saw in the, in the, in, on the EP cover, you know, she's got like a pretty, you know, a sexy dress on. You know, she looks pretty fancy underneath and then throws the trench coat over top. Mm. To me, it seems like she would like pearls and fancy cars because she looks kind of badass. She'd, you know, go away from the scene in like her, you know, roaring away in her Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, who, I like the line that she drove the underworld crazy, right? So you could interpret from that that, you know, like after many years of working at this seedy, horrible hotel, mm-hmm. busting bad guys, that, you know, it was just like too much in the long run to 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 keep going with that. She was a hotel detective, but now she's gotten promoted. I don't think it was the money. 
change that line, uh, but now she's better connected. She didn't have to change anything. The stencil on her window. So the stencil, I guess, you know, like a gumshoe or like private eye would have their little office or whatever and have the stencil on the window. But she's better connected with him. I think because, let's see, it it says she found an easier way up the ladder and she took it. Now she's running the world. So if someone's in a position of power, they are better connected. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she was a hotel detective in past tense is with this song you know she's she was a hotel detective she isn't right now uh so this is the uh so we are going along the timeline of this person whether uh flans and linnell had the same kind of character in mind whether they workshopped the character <laughs> or they even tell each other what you know that's that's a debate around the miscellaneous tea like does does john ever t- was that matt curtis opposed to this like does john ever tell john what the hell he's singing about or whatever <laughs> linnell's like hey i want to write another song about that hotel detective tell me more about that character no <laughs> good stuff she drove the underworld crazy. That is a good line. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a couplet. I think it, she used to be quite a lady. She drove the underworld crazy. It's saying maybe, I don't know, maybe it's about attractiveness or something. And like, uh, you know, this the seedy part of that world uh-huh. was driven crazy by her. Yeah, but now she goes insane in her way when it suits her oc- occupation. <laughs> These, Linnell's lyrics are just, it's just so... There's so much yeah. to unpack. I don't know with because them. not that Flans is I a mean, slouch, but going back to I the mean, idea of the prostitution thing, like the idea of she's the only girl in the back alleyway, like I think that that is a thing. I think many people are thinking about the previous song after hearing this song and have kind of retconned that into the first the first version. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is she lonely? She's the only girl in this back alleyway. Will she shoot you? She won't have to. You're already dead. Yeah, I mean, or is it just that she's in the back alleyway because she's keeping an eye on the hotel from the outside, and she could shoot you if you're trying to rob the, uh, stick up the hotel. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that she's so good yeah. that by the time you think about her shooting you, you're already dead. You were going to be shot. She shot you before you right. Think about you can't it. even yeah, draw. No, no time to kill the. You know. Okay. So, anything else on this version? Uh, this squeak will. What? What else? So same EP. Uh, the song Ondine also kind of refers to someone with a gun. And there was a, I just sort of mm. a little comment on the interpretations page on, on the, on the song on the wiki, but it, I mean, it's on the same disc, right? Yeah. I think, uh, uh, it's not on, yeah, not on the European versions of back to skull, but it is on the American release at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's Flansburg, right? Yeah. yeah. Undine also has that lyric, uh, "Don't make me kill you again," which is kind of kind of similar <laughs> to, uh, you know, she doesn't have to shoot you; you're already dead. Right. <laughs> I still haven't figured out who that is that I mentioned a couple episodes ago, or I don't even know what episode anymore. That someone that wrote a review, uh, a nice review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, and told a little story about them like chanting for this song. And the Johns being confused about them being like, on Dean, on Dean, on Dean. And I can't find out who this person is. I, I put oh. out a little something, you know, I said it on that episode. I'm like, hey, if you're that person that left that review, no one signed up for that song. I can't figure out who it is. Anyway, back to Hotel Detective. Now, are we ready to move to the future? Not yet. Not yet. Sorry, Greg. Okay, so. 
No, continue. They're slicing and dicing. It'll it'll be okay. Musically, I think this is one of the coolest sounding they might be giant songs i love the disco feel i just i mean like it's it's kind of a a synthesized heavy sterile mix but i really like the groove of it um it is an interesting one like i said it's just brian on drums and then lanelle with a bunch of keyboards and then those vocals are pitched up right because I think that's what I read, that they were pitched up, that it wasn't like a falsetto or a... Right, the verses are, you know, normal, and then the chorus is sped up or, or pitch-shifted. But then when they would play it live, Flansburg actually did the uh, the high part, uh-huh. and then he ended up writing How Can I Sing Like a Girl because of singing this song Inspired live. by that. Yeah. 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 She was a hotel detective. Yeah. I love me some falsetto. Not easy. Yeah, I actually sing in falsetto quite a bit, especially with kindergarten, because they have trouble matching pitch at an octave, because they're all going to sing very high. So when, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm going to sing, you know, this is my kid voice. I'm going to sing in my kid voice. And they think it's funny at first, but then it really does help, because they all have very high voices. So you just sing, you know, I just sing up an octave and falsetto it if I need to, so they can match it. But yeah, I love a good falsetto. Uh, you know, Flansburg doing his best Bee Gees impression, maybe. Uh, his Barry Gibb. Yeah, the uh, the arrangement of this is... It is very funky, and it fits perfectly on a EP that features Snail Shell. Another very funky giant song. Um, you know, I always could have done... Even way back then, I could have done without the slap bass. But uh, it fits the vibe of the song. <laughs> Never been a fan of slap bass. Never liked Primus, any of that stuff. Red Hot Chili Peppers, no thank you. Uh, but uh, I'll forgive it, and they might be giant song. But it's very funky along those same lines. I mean, I wonder if that had something to do with it, is that he knew this was going to be on a, you know, not on John Henry, but on, you know, this other thing that was a snail shell, though it's not called, you know, the snail shell EP. Um, right. A little less rockin' than John Henry. Right. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, even though it's got a human drummer, it almost, you know, smacks of the duo era a little bit uh, in feel. Yeah. And I, since we read the other two bullets in a way, I might as well go over the last trivia on the wiki for this song. But sure. this one's really interesting. You know, this song has the lyrics, she read that motel directive. Yeah. And motel directive was actually like a, um, I don't know, uh, engraved in the groove of the 1988 EP, like on the record. Yeah. That's so they yeah. had that phrase that, that early in the eighties that they had a rhyme for hotel detective already. And then they used it. Yeah. And didn't use it in the original. Again, that probably is like going along with, with our theory there that Linnell was like, okay, what am I going to write a song about? We need to, you know, maybe he was thinking we need to fill out, you know, an EP here, you know, Electra wants an EP, uh oh remember that thing motel directive okay hotel detective motel directive let's actually put that into a song <laughs> but also it says motel directive wig wig wishnik yeah what the hell is that yeah. like it's like sputnik but but is wishnik a place or what is wishnik wishnik came up again and they might be giants world uh I, I don't know if i've made this connection before but when when they put out um become a robot on then the earlier years in 1997 they left out the lyric, uh, here's hoping you don't harbor a death wish in the liner notes, and they changed it to, 
here's hoping you don't harbor a wish nick and they said it was because they didn't want more more death references in in the liner notes very weird thing but yeah i just googled wiggy wiggy wish nick and the images (laughs) well the first the first text result is she was a hotel detective but all the images are these troll dolls yeah, for the, sale the become a robot wiki page actually links to wishnick on wikipedia as troll doll so ah. yeah and here's a two-headed troll doll which is <laughs> i'm gonna have nightmares tonight now troll dolls are really weird yeah this is an interesting song for sure it's just in so many ways because and i i love i love the b-sides and the weird tracks that don't make it onto an album. I mean, they do so much weirdness on album, but then when they get room to stretch out and just like, you know, I'm I'm guessing Lindell probably tossed this off pretty quickly, and not that he didn't care about it, but once he got that, like, the impetus for the idea, it's Hotel Detective, Motel Directive, he probably just went and, like, wrote it in, like, an hour. And then recording it, when you don't have any guitars, recording keyboards is pretty easy, even back then. Uh, you know, not as much as involved. You know, again, Brian's got the drum mics up. Throw this down. They, I bet they probably bash this one out really, really quickly. Um, it still feels like a complete song, but like I said, it feels like almost that duo era, and not necessarily tossed off, but like uh, something about it just feels like he knew it wasn't going to be on an album. Let's, you know, let's fill out this EP and knock out this weird sequel. Mm. I don't know. That's just the vibe that I get. One thing that's just occurring to me, Rem, so I'm sort of here, you know, talking to you and also clicking around the wiki, which I haven't done in a while, I guess, but one thing that's... Uh, the Both the songs are tagged with a theme of gender issues, and the Wikipedia article for the private... for the Hotel Detective refers to them as house dicks. And I'm wondering if that is a traditional <laughs> male role, and they're, and, and they're subverting that by making it a woman in the song, too. Um... Uh-huh. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where I'm quite going with that thought, but that's, yeah. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Just making it a Traditionally woman. male role, yeah, and then, you know, he creates this badass character, you know. Right. Right, if you've got a secret boy, forget about it, you know. <laughs> forget about yeah, it. I mean, the fact that, you know, it's a she is in the title of the song, so that's definitely a key to it. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's not just Hotel Detective. Why did he confuse? Why did he make it so confusingly titled with the? I mean, he could have kept Co- Linnell could have kept Hotel Detective in the title, but like the fact that he it's the exact same title without the parentheses. <laughs> Isn't it way funnier that way? I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> but people must have bought that EP, you know. And this is early internet. You weren't just like yeah. You know, you Google like in your pocket. You're just like, what the hell is this song? You're like looking at it in the store. You're like. Are they just padding this out with just putting Hotel like, Detective oh, back great, on it? Oh, great, this song again. Yeah, right? Must have been very confusing. Typically, when you see parentheses in a song title, it's like it has, there's a reason for it, right? TMBG did that on the Pink album. Well, it, they actually lost the parentheses by the time the album came out, but on the demo tape, Put Your Hand Inside The was also in parentheses. So I, I think maybe they were just like, you know, either fascinated by artists who did that or thought it uh, made the song better in some way. Yeah, or or could go along with the, you know, drawing attention to it being a female protagonist um, where maybe the working title was just Hotel Detective. And they're like, hey, you know, right. let's throw, you know, we've been calling it Hotel Detective, but in parentheses, let's throw it on there. You know, usually usually the parentheses are like, it is an interesting thing, and I've never... I've never titled a song with 
something in parentheses because pretty much I either say it or I don't. Like it's in the right. title or it's not. So it is kind of an interesting thing. But it makes me think of the. Are, are you guys familiar with the band Pet Cemetery? Marcus, their Nuccio, their drummer, has been on the show twice. A uh, pop, uh, pop punk band from Chicago, and they played the Birdhouse. You know, Marcus was on that the Birdhouse episode, and then they played uh, and did a bunch of TMVG covers. And ended nearly every song with "Life is unfair," every song. Uh, but they use parentheses to hysterious, hysterical fashion. They on every single song on both of their live uh, on both of their studio albums has parentheses on it. <laughs> so there's like, well, some of the funnier ones. The song is called "Use Your Illusion 3, parentheses knock knock knocking on Evan's door. Evan is the singer. <laughs> Evan's door. Um, and then the next track, Spatial X Perception, parentheses, no, dot, 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 sleep till, dot, 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 till bedtime. And then, uh, there's all these other ones, like then Serial Killer, which is Relic Lacerec, which is Serial Killer backwards. <laughs> Try, what are some of the other good ones? They have some really good ones. Um, but yeah, for them, they're just using it as a joke. I guess it was just their first album they did that, but every single song had parentheses on it, um, which some of them, that knock, knock, knocking on Evan's door still gets me. I think that's fucking hilarious. But parentheses are a weird thing. Um, Radiohead did that on, uh, on Hells of the Thief, Radiohead did the same thing. They actually have all 14 tracks have parentheses and almost like use like subtitles. For the, for the track? Sure. Yeah, I guess it, it is sometimes almost used like that. They're usually at the end. Yeah, uh, yeah that's true. That's true. I think that's another another reason why I think TMBG was kind of doing it for, you know, f- funny stylistic reasons on the Pink Album or the demo tape, because the parentheses are never usually at the beginning of the song. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, here we got some uh, Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah, there's one. Parenth- parentheses, I can't get no Satisfaction. And then we got, here's BC Boys, parentheses, you gotta fight for your right, parentheses, to party. It's on both ends. <laughs> <laughs> as far as, I mean, I just Googled songs with parentheses in the title. Just, uh, there's a lot at the end, like, pretty fly, parentheses, for a white guy, right? Huh. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just very confusing. I'm just thinking people actually looking at the hard copy in like Sam Goody or some shit, and they're like, I already own Snail Shell. I already own Hotel Detective. I'm not buying this thing. <laughs> but then the ones who did, they got so rewarded. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's a great song. And cool. this um, this confusing mashed episode has me realizing that we also didn't score the first song. Do we do all the scores at the end? Oh, I figured we were doing them all at the end. Okay, let's do that. Just these things are occurring to me. This is just a weird way to do an episode. Uh, it's uh, thrown me off, but it's it's fun. Hope you enjoyed part one of the Hotel Detective series. Part two coming next week with Hotel Detective from the future and the um, crazy quote-unquote commentary to the Hotel Detective from the future. That'll be next week. Thanks again to John Walker for engineering these two episodes. Helped me out a lot because uh, my show Best Midwestern is... Uh, we come, we've, we've, we've come back. Check out that Kansas episode. You heard an ad for it earlier. So, roll credits. This might be a pod 
at gmail.com. Website is thismightbeapodcast.com. Check out thismightbeapodcast.bandcamp.com. Got some new covers up there from the live episode. Uh, They'll Need a Crane's finally up there. Averin Keating's new track that we collaborated on as the Purple Pansies. Go grab those. They're all free. This might be a podcast.bandcamp.com. Call and leave me a voicemail. 224-801-2930. Do it. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Cool things. Yeah. Awesome. Hope everyone's staying safe. Have a good one.